Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Back to the sports be with Richard Holder. Just a reminder, you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Newton, Georgia. And once again, I have on the show Justin Dale. Justin, I had you on the show last week. We talked about the Braves. Now we get to talk about Georgia. I know that you are excited, and really, I appreciate you coming back on the show. I I appreciate you having me on. Um, it was a pleasure doing it the first time. Um, I didn't expect to come back so quickly, but I, I do appreciate you uh, having me back on. Well, times are good in the state of Georgia. I know that you were excited that the Braves won the World Series and you got to go to the parade. It was even more exciting for you because you're also a Georgia fan and Georgia wins the national championship. First time since 1980. And I know you have some heartbreak stories about the University of Georgia. We briefly shared it on the podcast last week. I, too, am a Georgia fan. I've lived in Georgia since 2006. Without adapting a college football team born and raised in California, I took on the Georgia Bulldogs as my favorite college football team since 2006. So I'm there with you. I've seen some heartbreak. You've seen more heartbreak than I have. But tell me, when did you start rooting for Georgia and what drew you to being a Georgia Bulldog fan for life? Well, it was my journey with Georgia is a little bit different than it was with the Braves. I mentioned in the podcast last week that I was a um, baseball was my first love and I was a Braves fan since I was probably in diapers. Um, Football came a little bit later in my life. Um, I want to say maybe around maybe around 10 or 12 is when I started getting into football more. Um, my, my dad played football in high school. He never went to college um, to, to play football, but uh, I had some family members that liked football. Um, they were, they were Falcons fans. We didn't really, as a, as a family, we didn't really have a college um, that we cheered for. Uh, but I had a lot of friends that I grew up with that were big Georgia fans. And so I just kind of adopted Georgia is my college team just because of the people I hung out with. Uh, start so, yeah, so 10, 12, you know, 95, 96, somewhere in there is probably when I adopted them as a team. Uh, probably started paying a little bit closer attention to the games and, and learning the stats and learning how, you know, the strategy in the game, uh, probably more in the later 90s into the early 2000s. Uh, I would probably say when Mark Rick got hired in, in 2000, that was probably when, uh, or 2001, that was probably when, I, I really got became a diehard Georgia fan at that point. Uh, Georgia, you know, was pretty mediocre back in the '90s, uh, and then when Mark Rick came in, he really started to change the culture of that program and made them believe that they could win. Now, I had Georgia on my radar. I mean, because I was actually this is surprising. I was a big Garrison Hurst fan growing right. up as a kid. He finished third in the Heisman voting in 1992. Uh, that was Ray Goff's really best year was 1992 Georgia went 10 and two and Garrison Hurst later became a 49ers running back so anybody that plays for the University of Georgia and plays for the 49ers they have a special place in my heart Guy McIntyre amazing offensive lineman uh Charlie Warner I mean I can name all the Georgia 49ers players 
And so Garrison Hurst was my favorite running back, a very underappreciated Georgia running back. When you think of Georgia running backs, running back you with Herschel and Garrison Hurst, nobody ever talks about Garrison. Yeah, Garrison Hurst kind of gets lost in the shuffle um, just because there's been so many great running backs that have come out of uh, the University of Georgia. There's a reason why they're called RBU. Um, because of the the backs they put out, but yeah, Garrison Hurst had a had a really uh, got a good career at Georgia, um, and then he went on into the NFL and had a really great career there too. All right, well, let's talk about the first shot that Georgia had at possibly winning a national championship under Mark Rick, two thousand two. Their only blemish was a loss to an unranked Florida team. Uh, David Green was their quarterback. They've had some great. Great players like David Pollock, an All-American defensive mm-hmm. end. Musa Smith was their running back. He had a great, not a great NFL career with Baltimore. That was their most legitimate shot, right? You remember the 2002 season where they lost to an unranked Florida team? I do. I do remember that. That was that was the year really the University of Georgia took notice to the state that they were they were for real. You know that that team was so good that 2002 team that Mark Rick had um, and they played so well against everybody they played except for that Florida team. Um, I don't know if that was a question of just going in, maybe a little overconfident into that game. Uh, Florida had had our number um, throughout the nineties and even getting into the early two thousands. We just, uh, for whatever reason, we just had a hard time beating Florida, especially even when we had a team that should have beat them like we did in 2002. Um, There was moments in that game that we should have, we could have won. Um, There were some drop passes. There were some missed tackles. uh, There was just a lot. We just didn't play very good in that game at all. And unfortunately, it cost us a spot, you know, in the national championship. This was long before playoff and long before um, you know, the BCS just, you know, had the top two teams make it uh, to the uh, national championship game. And Georgia was just outside of the rankings and the, the BCS uh, algorithms and stuff to Ohio State and Miami that year uh, who played for the national championship. But I do think if Georgia would have would have been able to go undefeated in the regular season, I think that team could have been a national championship team or if, if the same playoff system we have today would have been in place in 2002, um, that team could have won a national championship for sure. It's just, you know, the margin for error in college football is very, very thin. Fast forward to 2007, because I know that was the year, Matthew Stafford's second year, no Sean Moreno. This is where I really started becoming a Georgia fan because I've already moved to Georgia. I was watching Georgia every Saturday. They had such a great quarterback in Matthew Stafford. And that year, they did have two losses. They lost to Tennessee big, and they lost to South Carolina. But come the BCS rankings up to the SEC championship game, which they did not get to play LSU because Tennessee owned the tiebreaker. But do you remember the BCS standings before that LSU game? It was number one, Missouri, number two, West Virginia, number three, Ohio State, and number four, Georgia. Well, guess what? Guess what happened to the first number one and number two teams that, that week? They both they both lost. I remember That's that right. weekend. They both lost. And Missouri lost the Big 12 championship game. And I believe West Virginia lost to Pitt- yes, Pittsburgh, in, I believe. In the backyard brawl. Yes. Yeah. And guess what? LSU was ranked all the way down to number seven. So what I didn't get, they skyrocketed everybody else just because they won the SEC. And LSU had two losses that year as well. Right. And Georgia, I, I actually thought, that Georgia was going to sneak into the BCS championship because number one and number two lost. And so 
number three and number four are right there. I mean, how can a team like LSU just catapult everybody else? Right. That that year in particular, 2007, was a weird year because we didn't have any undefeated team. I think Hawaii was undefeated, but they were in a smaller conference, and so we knew they wasn't going to get into the top two. But the rest of the the, the Power Five conferences didn't have an undefeated team, So we, and, and most of them were starting to lose more than one game now. And so we – Towards the end of the season, you know, the experts were starting to look at, well, who's the best two-loss team, you know, which is something we really hadn't had in the BCS era before. And LSU that year, th- both of their losses, I believe, had come in overtime. To Kentucky um, and Arkansas. It's Kentucky and Arkansas, yeah. They are both overtime losses. And uh, they had played uh, very good for the most part during that season. They were also the favorites going into that season to win the SEC. They, they had a very good football team. Um, Georgia got off to a slow start that year. Like you mentioned, that, that South Carolina and Tennessee loss were earlier in the year. I believe South Carolina was in September, to, and then we uh, Tennessee was early October. And so uh, Georgia really – it was the Vanderbilt game, which was the next week. They actually were trailing in that game, and then it was like a light switch went off at halftime, and they came out and played like like you're supposed to play against Vanderbilt, and they – they beat them by a good margin. And then after that, Georgia just kind of started mowing people over in the rest of their schedule and won out the rest of their schedule and having those two losses. They did climb up to number four. LSU's loss to Arkansas, I believe, was later in the, maybe like early November, so it was later in the season, Yes, which is what knocked them down to seven at that weekend. But, yeah, there was a, there was a mess at the end of that um, season because you're looking at it, you're like, all right, Missouri – and West Virginia, which would both only had one losses, they're out now because they both have two losses. And Ohio State was at three. They only had one loss, so it was pretty assumed that they were going to move up to number one and make the title game. Uh, Georgia had two losses, but they didn't play in the SEC title game because they, they finished in a tie with Tennessee for the East, and Tennessee won the tiebreaker. Kansas, I believe, was five. They were also in the same boat. I think they had finished in a tie with Missouri, and, and Missouri had won the tiebreaker. And so they were they were inactive that championship week, too. And then I think Virginia Tech was sitting at sixth. Yes. And they were the ACC champions, and so there was an argument there for them to move up. But I think just because of the the, the SEC factor, um, I think that played a part into the voting part of the of the uh, BCS equation. And, uh, and LSU ended up – that's why they ended up jumping five spots. Uh, with two teams that were inactive, uh, they jumped five spots up to number two, and Georgia was sitting on the outside again. Um, wondering what could have been if they would have just uh, been able to take care of business against one of those two teams they lost to earlier in the season. Oh, and what could have been? I had really high hopes for 2008. Georgia's a preseason number one. They got Matthew Stafford and Noshawn Moreno back. Mm-hmm. But we're not even factoring in the whole Nick Saban gets hired at Alabama in 2007. Probably the biggest game on Georgia's schedule that year. They were playing Alabama. I remember it was a blackout game. College game day was there. They're getting ready to take on Alabama. They dropped to like number three in the rankings because U.S. They jumped Georgia for some reason. But Georgia getting ready to take on Nick Saban in his second year. And I got to tell you, Justin, this game completely flipped both programs for the next 10 years. Do you remember that game? Oh, yes, I do. I do very vividly remember this game. I remember this game. Georgia went in 2008 as the uh, number preseason number one ranked team. Um, but the first they won their first three or four games. Uh, I think Alabama was number five on the schedule, if I'm not four or five on the schedule. And they had won their first two or three games, but they they didn't win them in the convincing fashion that a number one team 
should beat should beat their um you know their uh, non conference games or their uh, I guess their FCS opponents and stuff like that. And so Georgia had slowly kind of dropped down from to, from one to two to three. But they were still in the top five. They were going up against this Alabama team. You know, Nick Saban had come in the year before in 2007. Uh, Georgia had actually went out to Tuscaloosa in 2007 and won uh, that game against Alabama in overtime. And so, you know, they were coming, they were making their trip to to Athens. Uh, Georgia was favored to win. You know, they were the ranked team. Alabama had gotten hot. You know, they they had played some, you know, won some games early in the season, but nobody quite believed in them just yet. But that game was really, yeah, like you said, it was a defining moment for both programs. Um, that was really kind of Nick Saban's coming out party at Alabama um, and kind of, you know, sent shockwaves through college football that he was back and that he was better than he was before. <laughs> and so – the game was ugly in the first half. Alabama jumped out to a huge lead, um, and Georgia chipped away at it in the second half. But there was never a point where you really felt like Georgia was going to get really get back into that game and make it a game. It was a very um, embarrassing and humiliating loss, especially when you're on your own home turf um, playing somebody like Alabama for that um, for that game. So yeah, it was a uh, it was a horrible game um, for us. We didn't play very well. It really kind of affected us the rest of the season. Uh, I was hoping maybe Georgia could, you know, win out the rest of their, especially in the East, and maybe get a chance at redemption in the SEC championship game. But we ended up losing, I think, two more games and yes. missed out on the SEC championship game. We lost to to Florida, um, and then and so they ended up going instead and to that SEC title game. And that was the revenge game. Florida beat Georgia forty nine to ten. That was mm-hmm. Florida went on to win the national championship that year. That was the Tim Tebow's best year. But mm-hmm. he was getting payback for the year before when all the players went into the end zone after No. Sean Moreno's touchdown to have Georgia up seven nothing, and I I still agree with that call. I don't know how you felt about that, but it was a game changer in that game where Georgia finally beat Florida in two thousand seven, and it was a great moment for Georgia. But Florida just had some payback, and they they took it to Georgia in in the following year. Yeah, they did. Um, not only did they take it to us in that game, um, but uh, I believe Urban Meyer was calling timeouts at the end of the game. <laughs> just yeah, along in the misery for us. Um, I think that's where where really our disdain for Urban Meyer came from. Um, is that that in those moments where he was just prolonging a game, calling timeouts when he really didn't need to. Uh, but yeah, it was a uh, that t- that 2007 game was a big game going into it for both programs at the time. And Georgia had that, they got that touchdown on the first drive and, and then the team ran out on the field and celebrated. They got the excessive celebration call and, and everything, but it was definitely a moment that kind of, you know, rallied everybody up. Even I was shocked to see, you know, that happen. Uh, Mark, Mark Rick's team is usually so um, they were composed and, and usually didn't show a whole lot of emotion. And so for them to, to do something like that was, was pretty cool, at least from, from the Georgia side anyway but uh but yeah they florida definitely got their revenge on us um the the following year in 2008 well let's fast forward to 2011 because this was the year that georgia lost to boise state and mark rick started zero and two i remember there were rumblings that mark rick was on the hot seat in 2011 and justin you know this is this podcast is dedicated to columbus georgia so running back isaiah crowell who went Mm -hmm. to carver high school will always have a special place in my heart and he is a Columbus legend. If you know, that was his first year at Georgia. They turned it around. They rallied and they won 10 straight games that year after starting 0-2. 
They did lose to LSU in that championship, 42 mm-hmm. to 10. I mean, but they were there. I mean, they made it to the SEC championship and they lost to Michigan State in the Outback Bowl. But that to rally off 10 straight wins and to actually beat Florida, I remember that game 24 to 20. And, and that was a year where Aaron Murray was the quarterback, if you remember. Right. And uh, what game in your mind was the turning point in that season? Where it was like, okay, we started 0-2, but we've turned this thing around. And I think with Aaron Murray coming back next year, I think that we've got a shot at competing for a national championship. Yeah, that season was such a weird season starting off 0-2. Um, I couldn't remember a time under Mark Rick, at least, that we started 0-2 until that season. I, I don't think Georgia had been 0-2 since the 90s at that point and it was definitely um i heard the rumblings too a lot of people a lot of georgia fans were starting to think that maybe maybe mark rick's time at georgia had played out you know he had been there at that point for almost 10 years and that's you know in this even in even 12 years ago that was still kind of unheard of for college coaches to stick around programs for the quite that long and so people were starting to think maybe it was time to move on maybe the program had gotten stale players needed a new voice and then for them to rattle off those two wins like or those 10 wins like they did I I don't really remember when exactly a turning point was um I, I think the team just played better um and they you could slowly see the the progress they made throughout that season um, and they were getting more fund- fundamentally sound and better. Aaron Murray was growing as a quarterback um, that season as well. Uh, and we ended up winning the winning the East, beating Florida. was always – anytime we beat Florida is always a good year, in my opinion. That team played really well. Um, going into that SEC title game, I, I, I felt like we were a little outmatched against that LSU team that year. Um, but, you know, college football, anything can happen. Um, and so, I mean, the, the score reflected it. We didn't play that well in that game. Uh, that Michigan State – bowl game though like that was a close game it was very entertaining uh I believe that was Kirk Cousins um on that yes here who uh was um leading the Spartans and it was it went into overtime it was a very entertaining game it just you know game you know some somebody's got to lose and we unfortunately were on the losing end of it but um it was definitely that season rattling off those 10 straight wins you know even though we lost our bowl game it gave us something to you know, kind of build on and look forward to to the next season. Let's talk about 2012 because it was a special year for me because it was the first time I went to a Georgia game at Sanford Stadium. I went to the opener against Buffalo, which had for a future linebacker in the NFL, Khalil Mack. He played mm-hmm. for Buffalo. And this right. is this was the coming out party for Todd Gurley. He had eight carries for 100 yards. He wasn't really their featured back. Keith Marshall was the, the back that they recruited ahead of Gurley. But right. Todd Gurley had an amazing 2012 season. Remember, we they shipped off Isaiah Crowell. He had gotten some troubles, and he transferred mm-hmm. to Alabama State. So it was pretty much running back by committee. That you know, this mm-hmm. was when Georgia started recruiting running back after running back. It really didn't matter who they plugged in there; that they were able to get the position finally right. You remember those lean years before Isaiah Crowell, where they had uh, Caleb Keen and mm-hmm. Wayshawn Ely. I mean, they were highly recruited running backs but they couldn't get the offensive line right Georgia started looking like Georgia football and in your mind did you feel that Georgia could win a national championship in 2012 you know going into the season that year I was I was optimistic about our chances I I liked um getting uh Keith Marshall and Todd Gurley to add to at the time adding to you know Isaiah Crowell being there you know that three-headed what we thought would be this three-headed monster 
at, at running back would, was going to be, you know, something special to see. Um, I hate that the, uh, the problems that Crowell ended up having um, that got, got dismissed from the team. Um, but, you know, Crowell's gone on and, you know, he, he had a good college career and then he ended up getting go pro, has some few good uh, productive seasons in the, in, in the NFL as well. Uh, but, you know, when Crowell was gone and, and they, we were going to hand it off to these these two uh, true freshmen, you know, like you said, Keith Marshall was the five-star. He was the one that was highly recruited. Todd Gurley was a four-star. Um, and, you know, it was – I remember when we got him, you know, and I was excited about the potential there. But there was nothing – as him as a, as a prospect coming into the, in the university, there was nothing hyped up about him being the next great Georgia running back, you know. Um, going into that season, but he just that first game getting the you know him toting the rock, it was just it was amazing, and you could definitely see his ability. He hit the line hard. He had a lot of power. He was fast, and you know there was potential there for sure. Aaron Murray was going into, I believe, his junior year, I believe, um, and so he was you know he was growing as a quarterback too. We trusted him back there. Uh, the offensive line was getting better. We finally we had, we had some you know seniors and juniors on that offensive line, and they gelled. And that team was was a very good football team. Um, it, you know, going in every season, I you you know there's key games you got to get past Florida, uh, Auburn, and so for me, it's you know the team definitely had the potential. But again, I was just being very you know cautiously optimistic. I guess that's the best way to put it. And our chances to try to you know win a national championship that year. All right, the 2012 SEC Championship against Alabama. Alabama, the reigning national champions, going into this game, both teams had one loss. And right. Notre Dame was ranked one. Alabama was ranked two. Georgia mm-hmm. was ranked three. This was the biggest game for Georgia since 1982. I remember mm-hmm. watching this game. I remember Georgia jumping out to that double-digit lead with the blocked Field goal by Alec Ogletree. Georgia's up 21 to 10. I know I got excited, Justin, but then we saw Alabama unleash the beast as Eddie Lacy, TJ Yeldon ran for over 200 yards. But Georgia did take the lead in this game, but there was a huge play. Georgia had the ball and they were up, and Todd Gurley gets stuffed on a third and one. And I know that it's it's heartbreaking. But this is part of the process. I mean, it's okay now because Georgia won a national championship. But do you remember A.J. McCarron with the NFL throw to Amari Cooper? Kind of the same play. If you want to fast forward to the national championship to a Tagovailova to Devonta Smith. Mm -hmm. I mean, same thing. Oh, man, it's heartbreak. But I I was completely stunned. I thought Georgia had their best shot. And Aaron Murray was going down the field. And and if, if that pass doesn't get caught and tipped i think georgia has a shot i mean they were down by four so they had to go for the touchdown i think georgia had a shot i remember arthur lynch was being carried and uh they should have spiked the ball there but you know they wanted to build on the momentum and cut catch alabama off guard defensively right that was so close it was. That was that was probably the biggest heartbreak at the time for me in my lifetime at, at that moment, um, to be that close. That was a – I remember that game very vividly. I mean, a, a buddy of mine uh, went to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings uh, to go watch that game, and the place was pretty divided, you know, Georgia fans, Alabama fans. And so it was – you know, the game was entertaining uh, for the most part. Fans were, were just kind of cheering back and forth, and so it was a fun, really fun atmosphere to be in. 
but yeah, Georgia got off got off to a lead in that game, double digit lead. Um, Alabama chipped away at it. You know, you got to remember too this th- these Alabama teams. Um, you know, they were built. They were power running teams. You know, kind of what kind of the way Georgia's kind of built now with the way Kirby Smart leads the team. And so, you know, they they do their body blows on their defense. You know, they continue to pound the ball and with the idea that we're going to wear you out by the second half. And that's exactly what Alabama did to us. Um, and then once we started trying to commit an extra player in the box, stop the run, and they took the shot. And that's, you know, Amari Cooper's catch uh, that caught us off guard late in that game and gave them the lead. That, that last drive, I had all the confidence in the world that Aaron Murray could get us down there. And he did for his – he got us down there into the red zone. Um, I really thought when Arthur Lynch made that catch um, on the – 10 yard line and, and, you know, was down. I thought we were, we were, we were going to do this. We were going to do this. Um, I get why, you know, coach Rick didn't um, have him spike the ball there. Um, he wanted to catch Alabama off guard. He wanted to go fast. He thought if we can, if we can just keep going fast and keep them from substituting, we can, we'll catch a break on them. Uh, that play though. Uh, I, I think Todd Gurley was supposed to, was supposed to block. He missed his block. Uh, they were able to get the hand up and tip the ball. Uh, which caused it to kind of float in the air, and Chris Connolly came down and caught it. I mean, it's natural instinct. You see the ball in the air, you just go catch it. Oh, of course. And so, you know, but if Connolly would have batted it down or let it fall, you know, the clock would have stopped with a few seconds left, and Georgia could have at least ran one more play. But when Connolly caught that ball, Georgia had no timeouts left, and there was no time to try to get set up to spike the ball. And so time ran out, and Alabama – went on to the national championship game where they throttled Notre Dame that year. And uh, we were, we were going off to a, another bowl game instead. So. And then all of a sudden Mark Rick started becoming the conversation that maybe he's not the elite coach like a Nick Saban. This is what Nick Saban does to a lot of these sec programs. Mark Rick was a good coach. He could get Georgia to 10 wins every year, but he couldn't quite get over the hump. And 2012 proved that. He went 8-5 and five and 13. When he went 10-3 and three in 2014. Then there was a game in Athens in 2015. I remember watching this game on CBS with Gary Danielson. We all love him as a color commentator. But Gary Danielson, <laughs> oh, yeah. in the rain, Alabama was an underdog to a Georgia team. Alabama just lost to Ole Miss. I knew Alabama was going to win this game because Alabama was trying to prove a point after losing to Ole Miss, even though Georgia was favored. But Alabama throttles Georgia 38-10 to in Athens. At that moment, I knew that Mark Rick was done as the Georgia head coach. Yeah, that, that game, I, I remember that game too. Um, I was nervous going into it. Um, I, I didn't care what anybody was saying about who's underdog, who's favored. It's, it's Alabama. You know, at this point, Nick Saban has established himself – uh, Alabama's a tough a tough team to beat, no matter if they're, quote, down or up or whatever you want to call their teams. They're just tough to beat um, because they're well coached um, by Nick by Nick Saban and his and his staff. And, you know, it was a home game for us. And I was I had high hopes that we could pull it off. But it became very clear early on that we were just outmatched in that game. It was in the rain. But, you know, I mean, that's that's football. I mean, you, you're going to play in the rain sometimes. The elements are not going to be favorable for you. It could be cold, could be snowy. Um, but, you you know, you got you got to try to play in those elements anyway. And Georgia just was not ready uh, for that game. They just didn't look prepared at all um, for that that Alabama team. And, and that was the moment we realized it, too. You know, give credit to Coach Rick that, you know, he what he did at his time in Georgia is he really did elevate the program. You know, the program went from mediocrity um, 
back in the nineties and he took them and made them a program worth, you know, looking at. They were, they were, they were not elite yet, but they were definitely one of the more, you know, one of the top programs in the country, you know, towards the top at least. And so, but we knew that he just wasn't going to be the guy to get us there. You know, Nick Saban had set that standard for what was elite and what wasn't. And everybody else was just trying to catch up. And Georgia wanted to get to that point themselves. And and, and Coach Rick just wasn't going to be the guy to do it. And uh, at the end of that season, they decided to to part ways with him. Hey, Justin, I, I really appreciate it. You know, we would actually stroll down memory lane when it comes to Georgia. But we are almost out of time. Uh, stay tuned for next week where we start talking about the Kirby Smart era of Georgia football. Justin, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. And uh, thank you so much for talking about Georgia the early years before Kirby Smart got there. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. That was Justin Dale, uh, the guest on the Sports Beat. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. And stay tuned for next week as we will have Justin on the show. Have a great day, everybody. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been The Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.